And welcome into a special and rare spring edition of Please Bear With Me. My name is Scotty Swingler. I'm so glad you jumped in with us this week. Uh, over the past week or week and a half, I have gained, um, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating, over 100 and maybe multiple hundreds of new followers on Twitter. I hope you've made your way over here to the podcast side of it. This is what we do. This is uh, the show. Please bear with me. Thanks for jumping in. And uh, if you're new here, man, I'm so pumped you're here. You're here on a really special episode, on a really unique episode, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But thank you for joining us. I have been covering Baylor football through this podcast for four seasons now. Four seasons of Baylor football. This is typically a football-only, fall-only thing. I've touched on baseball and basketball in the past when it was appropriate or when I had some good guests to come on and do that, but it is a Baylor football podcast. That being said, we will get to the spring game and my observations and thoughts from the spring game as well as spring practice over the past couple of weeks, but the main thing we're going to talk about today, obviously, is Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor, something that nobody thought would happen, something that is still pretty shocking even a week after I started hearing the rumblings and rumors that this was happening. Many of you are new followers or new listeners because I was one of the very first Baylor people to tweet out that some of those rumors coming from the LSU side about Kim leaving Baylor to go to LSU were in fact true. I tweeted that uh, last Thursday. Uh, Last Thursday, I felt comfortable with the information I was getting that I could say pretty confidently, hey, This is happening. Uh, A lot of Baylor fans rode me and gave me a hard time for that. And I understand their frustration because, you know, it it is shocking and it was surprising and it was bad news. But I knew probably on Wednesday that this was happening. And by Thursday, I felt good enough about it to tweet it out and put my name on it. And I'm going to tell you all of that. I'm also going to tell you how Kim's press conference introduction at LSU actually confirms a lot of what I heard. And you are hearing things that are untrue, and you are hearing things that are true. And I want to try to try to make those muddy waters a little clearer for us. Later in the show, we're also going to have Max Garner, former Baylor pitcher, on and good friend of the podcast to talk Baylor baseball as they've now had a run of success, had a great trip up to Lubbock, and took care of business against number 5 Texas Tech. And Baylor baseball sitting pretty now, looking pretty good as we get ready for postseason play. Want to talk to Max about all of that and lastly we will have Travis Corley on today. Travis hosts another Baylor fan podcast called the Oso podcast and kind of has a unique vantage point on Kim Mulkey because Travis was part of the women's basketball dream team. If you don't know what that is, Kim Mulkey uh, I think kind of pioneered this and maybe she got it from someone else and I'm mistaken there. But Kim Mulkey would have a group of guys Uh, who weren't good enough to play men's basketball at Baylor, but men uh, at Baylor who could play basketball practice against her team. And you know, I'm all for the equality between men's and women's sports. I actually think, I'll tell you in a minute, I think that's why Kim is making a huge mistake to go to LSU um, is because I think Baylor does a good job supporting both its women's and men's basketball teams equally. But um, say what you will about equality, women who practice against men 
who are typically, typically, not me, I'm little, but typically men, bigger, faster, stronger, that's just true. Kim knew that and would have her ladies practice against the Dream Team, which was a bunch of guys who were on the women's basketball team as practice players. And Travis, getting back to him, was one of those. And so we'll ask him about Kim Mulkey. We've also got an announcement about the future of this podcast. It is going to look different going forward It will be here. It will be a great Baylor football podcast, but it will look very different going forward. And I do want to tell you about all of that. So let's get straight into it. You are listening to a special spring edition of Please Bear With Me. So there's a flurry of narratives here around Kim Mulkey's exit from Baylor to take the job at LSU. There's a flurry of narratives. And one of the things that frustrates me about fans, and I think Baylor fans are just as guilty as any other fan base in this regard, we tend to get into camps. I saw Peter Pope tweet about this. Shout out to Our Daily Bears and the podcast that Peter does there. Um, Peter Pope tweeted about this. Why is it that every time there's some bad news at Baylor or there's some controversy at Baylor in terms of sports, we get into camps. Like, it's not helpful as fans or supporters of the university or alumni or what have you to get into camps. The reality is with most stories and and really maybe with most things in life, there's multiple sides to the story. There's multiple angles. There's multiple things that are and can be true. There's never just one reason for any given thing. And I want you to think about your life for just a second, and then we're going to talk about Coach Mulkey. In your life, the biggest decisions in your life, there was a variety of factors, a variety of reasons that you have made every major life decision you made, whether it was where you went to school who you married, uh, the jobs you took, whether or not to have children, where you wanted to live, what school district you're going to put your kids in, right? Like we have all these big life decisions and there's a variety of factors at play. It's never just one reason. There's never just one reason you make those big decisions, right? So I'll just give you a very personal, vulnerable example from my life. A few months ago, I was approached about interviewing to be a student pastor at a new church. On its face, that did not sound like something very appealing to me. I liked the church where I was. I had not been at the church where I was uh, what I felt like was a very long amount of time. I felt like I, I owed that church a couple more years of service. But there was a variety of factors, I'll be honest. And I left a church that I loved and where I felt like I was doing good work to go to another church and do good work. And it was because there was a lot of a lot of reasons I did that. I don't have time to get into it, nor do you care enough. But my, my point is there was a ton of reasons. And as soon as I announced that I was leaving my previous church, there became all of these questions and theories about why I was leaving. Some of them had partial truths to them. Some of them were straight up untrue. But Either way, um, there was not one 
theory or reason or camp of people that were right in terms of like, this is why Scotty was leaving and going to a new church. Okay. So that's just, this has happened with me very recently. There is not one reason Kim Mulkey left Baylor for LSU. It is a variety of reasons. And what I'm here to tell you today is most of what you've heard is either true or mostly true. Okay. So let's start with this very simple fact. Anytime a celebrity or a semi-celebrity or a public figure makes a decision or has any kind of controversy around their life choices, they have PR people and agents who want to spin it as positively as possible. And so let me tell you first that, yes, I think part of going to LSU for Kim Mulkey is going home to finish her career in Louisiana. It would be stupid to say that's not part of it. It would be really ignorant and selling her short to say that that's not part of the truth in this story. Now, Kim Mulkey's people want to spin that to be the full story because it looks better on her if that's the whole story. If the whole story is Kim just wanted to go home to Louisiana, there's no controversy in that. Um, There's no knock or negative on Kim in that story. It's just a pretty feel-good story. Thanks for what you've done at Baylor. Go home and finish your career in your home state of Louisiana. And that is, I'm here to tell you, part of the truth. But as much as I respect, and I do respect, and I've tried to get him on this podcast multiple times, as much as I respect Matt Mosley, the narrative that that's the only reason Kim left Baylor and we need to stop reading into other things is simply not the full narrative. It's not the full story. So don't buy that for a second. That leads me to this. There is a very popular narrative right now among Baylor fans that Mac Rhodes dropped the ball, that Mac Rhodes had his opportunities to get Kim Mulkey to stay and dropped the ball. I'm here to tell you that's not true either. Let's be very clear about something. Baylor has a top three women's basketball budget in the country. Baylor was giving Kim Mulkey every resource, every financial resource, every opportunity to do everything she wants to do to win more national championships, to make more money in her salary, et cetera, et cetera. Everything, in my opinion, Kim Mulkey could want from an athletic department Baylor was giving her. Here's what Mac Rhodes was not going to do. Mac Rhodes was not going to give her preference over Scott Drew or the men's basketball team when it comes to the new facilities and when it comes to things moving forward. Mac Rhodes was going to give Kim the exact same seat and the exact same treatment as Scott Drew moving forward. And that rubbed Kim Mulkey the wrong way. That on top of, there's always been some tension between Kim Mulkey and Mac Rhodes because they are both hyper alphas. It's a great thing for your AD and it's a great thing for your women's basketball coach to be alphas. 
But Kim and Mac have always, always, always since Mac Rhodes got to Baylor butted heads. They always have. All due respect to the other two athletic directors that Kim Mulkey worked for, they were not that way. They did not have the disposition to stand up against anything Kim wanted. Currently in the Farrell Center, maybe you don't know this, Kim Mulkey does have a bigger locker room than the men's team. The women's team does have nicer offices than the men's team. The women's team in the Farrell Center is set up nicer than the men's team. I'm not saying that was the wrong decision when those facilities were built for the time. At that point, the men's team had accomplished very little while the women's team was a national championship program. But now, we have two national championship programs in the building. And what Mac Rhodes was going to do was give them the same thing. And it made Kim angry. Now, let me tell you this. You might be of the opinion that three women's national championships still outweighs one men's national championship. From a competitive and a financial standpoint, that's not true. But even if I were to give you, hey, let's make them the same, let's make them equal, three women's championships is more impressive than one men's championship. Most women's basketball teams around the country don't have the same level of locker rooms, facilities, practice, office, all of that as the men's team. Most colleges around the country give their men's team really nice stuff and their women's team the sloppy seconds. That's not fair. It's not right. I would advocate against that, okay? Like, I think Baylor does it right. Baylor was going to give them, and I think will still give them, despite who the next head coach is, the same facilities, same quality across the board. So what I can tell you is this, and I, you know, don't ask me to name my sources because you wouldn't ask any professional media outlet to name their sources. I'm going to handle this like a pro. I'm not going to name my sources. What I can tell you is I had three or four sources by last Thursday telling me this. Kim Mulkey is angry about the stadium potentially moving downtown. Now, you need to realize, Baylor fans, by moving downtown, the new field house could go on the river behind Robinson Tower, which would actually be the exact same distance from the center of campus as the Farrell Center is currently. The arena is not going to be Floyd Casey Stadium a couple miles from campus. The arena is going to be about the same distance as the Farrell from campus. It's going to be on the river most likely behind Robinson Tower because the city of Waco is offering to pay for a lot of it. And by the way, if you're a Baylor fan, that's good news. Partnership between the city of Waco and Baylor, between downtown and Baylor campus, that is only good for Baylor in terms of revenue, in terms of visitors to campus. It's only good news. Kim Mulkey was not happy about that. Kim Mulkey wanted the new field house in the Farrell Center parking lot. And I understand that line of thinking. I'm not saying Kim's wrong for wanting that. But she was quite angry about that, and that's part of what sent her over the edge this week. Kim Mulkey did and does want the court at the new field house named after her. I don't think that's unfair. You can go look at my Twitter history. I've advocated for actually naming the entire field house after her and naming the court after Scott Drew, which is actually, in my opinion, saying... You know, this is the house Kim built, and Scott Drew won a natty too, so let's name the court after him, okay? 
I've advocated for that. But I think it rubs Mac Rhodes the wrong way when Kim demands that that's the case as soon as they move into the building. And what's sad to me is if Kim stays at Baylor and retires a Baylor legend, that court without hesitation would have been named after her. She would have a statue. She may still get a statue, right? For what she's accomplished at Baylor. She would have all that, but she wanted it guaranteed tomorrow or today and was demanding, making demands in that regard. But again, I think the thing that set this over the edge was she demanded, I have multiple sources on this. She did go to Mac Rhodes and she did ask, for nicer and better facilities than the men were going to get. And Mac Rhodes said no. And Mac Rhodes made the right decision. It was never a money issue. Baylor would pay Kim Mulkey whatever she needed to stay. It was never a length of contract issue. Mac Rhodes was going to renew her on 10-year deals until she chose to retire. That's what he's going to do with Scott Drew. It was not a facilities and and support issue. Waco and Baylor support women's basketball better than anywhere else in the country not named UConn. I believe that with all my heart. Gino Ariema has said that. That Waco supports its women's basketball. It's the only place in the country that supports its women's basketball to the same degree that UConn does. This was in part, in part, again, We're not going to buy into one narrative. We're not going to get into a camp. We're going to embrace all of the truth here. The truth is Kim wanted to go home. But the bigger truth is, and the truth that Kim doesn't want you to know, is that she did go make some demands of Mac Rhodes and the new facilities that Mac Rhodes was not going to meet because, frankly, it would not be in the best interest of the university to meet all of Kim's demands in terms of the new facility. That That is a fact. That happened. Yes, Kim Mulkey will deny it. That's what people in the spotlight do. They deny things that make them look bad. I not only have sources I trust that say that this actually happened, Kim Mulkey in her LSU introductory press conference gave some credence and some credibility to these reports. First of all, notice how when you watch Kim Mulkey's introductory press conference at LSU, she never thanks Baylor. She does talk about that LSU is the only school that could ever get her to leave Baylor, and I believe her. I believe that narrative. But she never says a nice thing about Baylor, about Waco, about Baylor fans. So listen, um, I believe she's thankful for her time in Waco, but in her current mental state, she does not like Baylor because she does not like Mac Rhodes because there were real issues there, and they were not one-sided, y'all. This was like no relationship issue is one-sided this was two-sided and i think in this particular case mac rhodes did the right thing by not guaranteeing kim better facilities than the men so she never says a nice word about baylor in her introductory press conference despite all of the great things waco and baylor did for her in her career and yes she did great things for baylor uh, as a terrific head coach fact notice that she says it took 10 minutes on the phone in the middle of last week for LSU to convince her to come. 
She said, I made up my mind in 10 minutes on the phone. It took 10 minutes to convince me to come. In the middle, she said, I got that phone call in the middle of last week. So I told you I started hearing things Wednesday and definitely Thursday. That phone call had happened. That's why LSU reporters and bloggers were leaking things by then as well. That phone call happened. Kim said it took 10 minutes to convince me. Listen, you are not convinced to leave a place where you've spent 21 years and won championships and are still compensated well in 10 minutes unless you have a problem with the organization and the institution. Kim had a problem with Baylor and it was that she wasn't going to get her way on the new facilities. Baylor was going to make that decision based on what's best for Baylor, not based on what's best for Kim Mulkey. That 10-minute phone call thing is also important because it establishes that Kim Mulkey did lie to us in the process. I don't blame her for this. She did the same PR thing that you or I would do in her shoes. I'm not saying she was wrong or immoral or, or evil for saying this, but watch. She said on Saturday, I have not made a decision. I will make a decision tomorrow or Sunday. Yet that phone call, we know, that 10-minute phone call where she said, it, I was convinced, took place in the middle of the week. Let's, let's just say Wednesday, okay? We also know that when it was officially announced on Sunday that Kim Mulkey was leaving Baylor to go to LSU, Kramer Robertson, her son, and I like Kramer a lot, tweeted, hardest secret I've ever had to keep in my life, go Tigers, Right? If Kim Mulkey had really not decided until Sunday, Kramer was not sitting on a secret for very long. If Kim Mulkey really was conflicted about leaving, Kramer Robertson is not sitting on a secret he has to keep for multiple days. Everybody knew by Friday and Saturday the offer was real and Kim Mulkey was pondering it. That wasn't the secret. The secret was not that LSU had offered. The secret was that Kim Mulkey had said yes probably last Wednesday, probably by Thursday when I tweeted that it was happening. Kramer Robertson knew that and was keeping it a secret. So Kim Mulkey lied to us when she said on Saturday, listen to me, when she said on Saturday, I have not made up my mind, I'll decide tomorrow. That was not true. She was already making arrangements. She just wanted to tell her team before she told the public. Good for her. That's the right move there, okay? But she decided last Wednesday that she was going to LSU. She made that decision in 10 minutes. Let's do something together. Let's acknowledge Kim Mulkey's role in this exit. And her role is that she is the catalyst in this exit. The men's team won a national championship. And Kim Mulkey realized that she was no longer the alpha at the Farrell Center, that she was sharing now with another champion. She went to Mac Rhodes to make sure she would still get nicer facilities than the men. Mac Rhodes said, no, we're going to give you all the same thing, which is a better gig than most of the country. And LSU called at the right time. That's the other thing Kim Mulkey said in her press conference. They asked her about the timing of this offer and LSU calling, and she got very emotional, and she talked about God, and she said, you know what? Timing is everything in life, and the timing for this was just right. Listen, y'all, if LSU calls two, three years ago, 
Kim Mulkey doesn't leave to retire in her home state of Louisiana. That, oh, I just wanted to go home isn't a thing. Maybe if Kim Mulkey wins a championship at Baylor this year, if they if they get through that UConn game and win the title, or maybe she comes back next year and wins a title at Baylor, and then LSU calls, and they're already building the new field house, I don't think she goes to LSU. I don't think she went primarily because she wanted to be in Louisiana. I think she had this beef with Baylor. She was feeling a little underappreciated, even though I don't think that's a that's you know, I don't think she's underappreciated in Waco, right? She's frustrated by the new building situation. She's frustrated by uh, there's some jealousy there with the men winning a title. And LSU calls right in the middle of her biggest beef with Mac Rhodes yet, and she sees a way out, a way to get back at Mac, and she took it in 10 minutes. Guys, there's nothing you can do about that. Mac Rhodes could not have come back and offered her anything to get her to stay at that point. In 10 minutes, she decided she was gone and there was nothing Mac Rhodes could do. Kim Mulkey chose to leave. This is on her. If you're going to be mad at somebody, that's where you should direct your anger. I say all that only to then say this. You have no right to be mad at Kim Mulkey. You can think that she did what was best for her instead of what was best for Baylor. Listen, that's that's a decision we as adults get to make. And she is now a grandmother, nearing the end of her career, gets to make that decision. And I don't fault her for it. You could say that she was being petty with Baylor and with Mac and with the new stuff, okay? I think that's a valid statement. Um... I think when you've won three titles, you have a little bit of a right to make some demands. I don't agree with the demands she made. I don't think it was wise. But that's Kim. That's always been Kim Mulkey. She has always been demanding of Baylor. So let me let me say three things about how we respond to this. And in a little bit, I'll have Travis on to talk more about Kim Mulkey. Number one, if you're a Baylor fan and you are have been acting excited and even happy that Kim Mulkey is leaving, you're not a true Baylor fan. I, I hate to say it. If you're a true Baylor fan, you you would want Kim Mulkey to stay, even if that meant working something out. I, I don't think that means you, d- you just bow to her every wish at the expense of the university, but if you're a true Baylor fan, you wish there was a way she could have stayed because, listen, you do not celebrate the departure of a three-time national championship coach who built, I mean, for all intents and purposes, built that new field house that we're going to get in a couple years. Uh, Kim Mulkey leaving is terribly sad for Baylor. It's not good for Baylor. And you need to be disappointed that she's leaving and you need to wish her well. It's the Christian thing to do, but more importantly, it's the right thing to do, right? Is we need to wish Kim Mulkey well at LSU and thank her for what she did at Baylor and we need to miss her. That's the correct reaction here, and that's been most of your reactions, but I have seen those who are celebrating Kim's exit, and I don't get it. I don't get it. Two, support Mac Rhodes and the next women's basketball head coach with every ounce of your fandom and every ounce you would have given to Kim. Mac Rhodes has done nothing but good things since he's been at Baylor. Matt Rule 
was a home run. I mean, make no mistake about it, Matt Rule might be the best hire outside of Kim Mulkey and maybe outside of Scott Drew at this point in Baylor Athletics history. In Baylor Athletics history, Matt Rule was a home run. Ryan McGuire for Baylor Volleyball doesn't get enough hype. That guy has made Baylor Volleyball into a top five national program overnight. He's a home run. We're still waiting on Aranda, but I know myself and others are very optimistic that he is going to be a home run. I think whoever Mac Rhodes brings in to coach this women's team, and I think it's going to be a top 10 nationally recognized college basketball coach. We need to support them all. And uh, the vitriol directed at Mac Rhodes is undeserved. I've just got to, I've just got to tell you from knowing and, and not even sharing with you today every little detail of those conversations, but just the basic outline of how those conversations went. We need to support Mac Rhodes. He's doing a great job. I'll close with this on Kim Mulkey, and then we'll move to spring game. It's really sad to me that that Kim Mulkey ultimately left Baylor, and she revealed some of this in that press conference. She left Baylor because she felt like she wasn't getting supported from certain angles. She felt like she wasn't getting the support and the things she needed to keep Baylor at a nationally relevant and championship caliber way. And yet, as arrogant as this may sound of me, I think she's wrong. I think the budget she was given at Baylor, the facility she was given at Baylor, the support she was given at Baylor. Listen, Baylor has treated its women's and men's basketball teams with all the same stuff. I've heard people say, well, what about the men's championship parade? The women got parades? Every championship they won, they got parades. When I look at the way Baylor has advertised basketball, promoted basketball, put basketball on the radio, men's and women's basketball was given the same treatment and the same excellence. You know, and I just think, I think what Kim Mulkey is going to discover over the next few years is that she left a great place that really gave her everything she needed and wanted and really supported her and loved her and will still love her. We will always remember Kim well. I've got more thoughts than that, but that's the most important thought. We will always remember Kim Mulkey well. And listen, we've always loved Kim because she's a firecracker, because she's aggressive, because she's an alpha, because she's not afraid to run her mouth in support of Baylor. And now we're going to see her go do that at another school. And it's going to be painful. And it's going to be hard. But we will support her from a distance while also, and more importantly, cheering on and supporting with the same level of excitement our new women's coach, in our women's basketball team moving forward because that's what we do at Baylor. That's what we do. We support our men's team. We're so proud of this championship they just won. I'm not even talking about that championship on this one spring episode I'm doing because I also say we support our women's team equally. We love our women's basketball in Waco and at Baylor, and we will continue to. And I think Kim Mulkey is going to realize that she left a great thing here at Baylor, because that's what we do. Sikkim Bears, we'll get back to Kim Mulkey here in a little while with Travis Corley. Max Garner joins us on Please Bear With Me, longtime friend of the podcast, and uh, wanted to jump on here and talk Baylor baseball. And Max, my confession to you as we get started, 
and and I'm not proud of this fact, is baseball is is not something I follow too closely anyway. Okay. And I think with the basketball run we just went on, I I just have been really behind the ball with Baylor baseball this season in particular. And so truthfully, man, you're, you're on here to talk to my audience, and I'm pretty clueless as well. So I, I kind of did uh, some research before you came on, and, and I've kind of got a picture of how the season's gone. I know this past month has been straight fire. Yep. Baylor Baseball tweeted, this past month, 14-3, and three, three Big 12 Series wins. That includes this win this past weekend over number 5 Texas Tech. 2.38 ERA and a 302 batting average. So stellar numbers over the past month. Uh, so for listeners maybe who are like me and just have not um, had a close eye on this baseball team, tell, tell us an overview first of the season and what's gone on and leading into this month, how they've gotten so hot. Yeah, I mean, I'll start off by saying I understand getting wrapped up in basketball the last few months. Uh, it was uh, it was about as much fun as I've had watching any Baylor team. But uh, the baseball team has been quietly kind of going about their business. They're really uh, they're in top, I think, top one or two in the conference and hitting uh, for the whole season, not just those last 17. And uh, also top three in the conference as a pitching staff as a whole for Team ERA. So. Um, just a really solid bunch of guys and uh, they've really kind of figured out um, some of the question marks just as far as uh, weekend rotation and some of the, the you know um, jobs that the, the bullpen guys were going about and uh, kind of settled everyone into their role uh, recently and they've, they've really been on the, on the run. So what changed I mean so I, I kind of looked and again I, I have not watched a lot of these games but I kind of looked through the schedule here and it looks like rough series against both TCU and Texas with some really lopsided losses there against good programs. Yep. What changed between there and then over this past month where, you know, you go up to Lubbock and win two of three against the number five team in the country? Is it just a matter of kind of figuring out that rotation, like you mentioned, and finding your rhythm there? Yeah, and I think the Texas and TCU series, and I think there was a, a non-conference loss what you know uh in between those two that wasn't a great um you know wasn't a great loss to have on ut arlington i see that yeah, yeah. there you go um they just kind of had the, the bats just went dead for two weeks and obviously you know you had some of those games against texas and tcu where you're, you're giving up 12 or 13 runs um and so that was you know obviously something that you know just bad weekends more than anything else because they were bad on offense and bad pitching bad on defense you know making errors uh, both of those weekends really and uh who knows you know i mean they get to play North Carolina A&T after that, get a sweep of someone that they're, you know, just better, more talented than. And uh, and then you got uh, a, a big series that kind of was the pivoting point for the season was uh, getting 2-0-3 um, against West Virginia at home. Mm. And that was when it really started to look like a team that was really comfortable playing together and, and really moving in the right direction. Yeah, it's totally. And these these wins against Texas Tech this past week, and I, you know, I just want to emphasize this again to to folks listening who maybe haven't been following this team. Tech's the number five team in the country, and Baylor got a twelve four and a thirteen three win during the course of that weekend. What specifically worked against Texas Tech? Uh, quality at bats. <laughs> um, it, I I got to watch more of the the tech series than probably any three game stretch uh for the whole season and 
Um, they just did it. They, they scored runs in all different kinds of ways. So I think Friday night there were five home runs, um, but you're getting walks, two out hits, balls in the gap, uh, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the at-bats were just really impressive. And obviously a, a team batting average of uh, over 300 for the last couple of weeks, and it's right around 300 as a team for the season. Um, they expect to score runs when they go out there. And uh, if they put together strings of at-bats like they did against Texas Tech, um, you know, consistently, they're they're going to be putting up a lot of runs on a lot of teams. So looking ahead, you've got three series left uh, before the Big 12 championship. You've got K-State, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. I, I, again, have not followed very closely this season. I don't know anything about those three teams. How, how is Baylor looking to finish as they get ready for postseason play? So K-State and Oklahoma are both at home, and um, I – the. Oh, we've talked. I've talked about this with some other people in, uh, in the last couple of weeks. And out of those two series at home, I think you got to be looking to sweep one of them and win the other one. I think you you should really be gunning to get five out of those six games um, against teams that realistically you should beat. Um, and Oklahoma State had uh, gotten ranked all the way up to seven or eight or something at some point this year. I think they're at the bottom of the top twenty-five or maybe just outside of it where we are now. Um, but going to Stillwater is never fun in any sport. And so, you know, I think those two series at home just carry that much more importance. Man, and and are they letting, Max, uh, fans go to the games now? Yes. Um, I'm not sure sure exactly what, if it's 50% or whatever the numbers are. And, you know, I think there's a few people that can get out on the berm and everything, but um, they're having fans back and they definitely deserve them. These guys are 19 and three at home and they're fun to watch. They win a lot in Waco. Yeah. So, Hey, if you're near Waco or in Waco and you need something fun to do in the next, uh, over the next month uh, on the weekends, you've got both that K state and Oklahoma series, get to a game and support the bears. Max, this is kind of a um, off-topic question, but I'm also talking spring football here uh, on this episode. Why isn't Blake Shapin playing baseball? I don't know. I uh, I, I figured he, he would at least be over there with him, you know, since he got onto campus early. But, um, yeah, that, that was weird to me if he was planning on playing both and, you know, didn't play his senior year in high school in baseball. Um, he's supposed to be – he's supposed to be the real deal in the infield. So right. I don't, uh, I don't know what's going on. I, I basically everything that I'd heard about him was that he would be a legitimate contender to play shortstop pretty much as soon as he was on campus. Yeah. That's what I had kind of heard and assumed. And, and frankly, uh, watching those guys, uh, this spring, I think he's definitely a good quarterback, but he's definitely a step or two behind, uh, Zeno and Bohannon, as he should be. I mean, you know, just in terms of experience. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that that we haven't heard or seen more about him playing baseball for the Bears. And I think, you know, like you said, he could be a big contributor there. So who are who are two or three guys on this team that that Baylor fans need to know? So, like I said, the the offense is good from top to bottom, and we we've, we've got five guys hitting above 300 that are in the lineup every day. Um, but it's anchored by two guys that I think two are the best players in the country. One's a fifth-year senior and Andy Thomas, and he's been starting a lot of games and crushing crushing baseballs in Waco for five years. 
Um, he's well over 300, 325, drives in a ton of runs. He's one of the best hitters in the country. Uh, and then Jared McKenzie, the leadoff hitter, uh, left-handed freshman in play center field. Um, he's uh, looking to be probably a freshman All-American this year. I think he's one of the best players in the country, uh, and he's, he's a true freshman. So um, he's, uh, he's special to watch. And really just – you know, on offense, they're just fun. There's a lot of guys with a lot of speed. So they're, you know, they're trying to take bases. They're trying to get extra bases on balls into the gap. Um, you know, every ball that goes into the outfield, the hitter's looking to get uh, get a double out of it until someone tells them to stop. You know, they're make uh, put pressure on outfielders to make plays. Um, so on offense, they're just really fun to watch. Um, as far as the pitching goes, um, I, it, it, you know, the two – stereotypical names if you're someone like me who follows the program a little bit but the friday night starter tyler thomas got a 205 era for the whole year uh in 10 starts um he's just been really really solid throws a ton of strikes left-handed pitcher uh and then luke boyd uh the closer has been closer for two years now um or you know a year and then an abbreviated year last year and uh, he's uh, he's steady Eddie at the end of the game, 1.35 ERA, and he strikes out a ton of people. So those are the four guys that kind of uh, kind of hold down both the offensive and, and, and pitching sides. I'm looking at these guys as you're talking about them and looking at their numbers. And, and the guy that you mentioned that I want to emphasize here is McKenzie. 377. Yep. Tied for the team lead in home runs with Andy Thomas with seven. 28 RBIs from that leadoff spot, 10 doubles. Just looking across his statistics, a 611 slugging percentage, uh, and that kid's a freshman. He's that, special. That He's is really a player. Special. You're not lying. Yeah. That's a player right there. That's awesome. Uh, talk about Coach Rodriguez. I didn't realize how long he had been at Baylor now until um, I was tweeting with some folks earlier this week about Mac Rhodes, and I, I thought Mac Rhodes hired – Steve Rodriguez, just because he's, you know, he feels new to me. And I didn't realize he's actually been on campus since, you know, Ian McCall. And and that's, that surprised me this week. I, you know, I grew up in Waco watching Steve Smith forever and ever and ever be be the coach and the beloved coach of the Bears. And, and you and I have talked about how great he is. And, you know, uh, Coach Rod's been here a long time. How would you evaluate the job he's done at Baylor so far? The success, like, is he where he needs to be? And, and you know, because... I think every Baylor fan wants to get back to a World Series, right? Right. And, um, you know, I I don't know that I have anything negative to say. You know, it'd be nice to be threatening the regular season a little bit more. You know, Coach Smith, we, not even counting the, top, the four years that I was on the team, um, you know, he finished top three in the conference just uh, uh, for the regular season, just a ridiculous amount of times. And really gets, consistently, yeah. And that gets you hosting regionals and, and uh, or being a two seed at, at some place that's pretty winnable, um, you know, and, and then you can make runs in the tournament. Um, you know, he won the Big 12 tournament. That's good. He, he seems to recruit well. You know, it's hard to tell what, you know, what recruits are going to do until they've been, been there for a full year or two. Um, but I, I like him. I, you know, he, he's a big league. He played in the big leagues. He really knows, um, especially kind of offensive strategy, when to bunt, when to let guys hit, when to, you know, trust a hitter in a three Oh count. 
um, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think his learning curve has been handling the pitching staff and there's still some hiccups there, but every coach has that and there's no magic time to, you know, pull a pitcher or, or, or leave somebody out there. You, you never really know what's going to happen after you make the decision. Yeah. So like, okay, playing devil's advocate here, how much leash is left? At what point is, is Mac going to say we need to go a different direction if there's not some pretty, pretty significant postseason success? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Mac seems like he's pretty aggressive, you know? And, right. That's uh, kind of my and, thought here. Yeah. And it seems like he wants all of the, all the programs to have a pretty aggressive mindset on where they expect to finish. So, you know, maybe it's shorter than, than you'd really think. I mean, I, I don't know. You don't see just because of the money and, and kind of profile of everything, you really don't see as many firings of baseball coaches every year. You know, you get a little more leash in the non-football and basketball sports typically. But, um, you know, I think that's a pretty good question because it seems like they, you know, and this has even started, you know, the last couple of years with Coach Smith, which it just seems like we've been kind of in a rut of being right around 25 um, maybe right. sneaking up a little bit higher and, and going on a couple of different runs throughout the year, but also um, having a lot of letdown games or letdown weekends where you, you know, lose two out of three or right. uh, get, get swept and don't even look competitive or something like that. And that's, that's pretty hard to stomach when you just, you know, you know, say the TCU series where you just don't even play a close game. Um, and it's, it's just tough to, tough to make a decision on, you know, how much, how, how many more recruiting classes do you give somebody? You know, it's, um, it's a tough, tough choice to make. Well, and let's acknowledge something, Max, that I think you'll appreciate that a lot of people wouldn't, I think, immediately understand. This is a great baseball state, especially at the college level. You know, everybody knows Texas high school football and, and that football's king. Uh, everybody knows that there's going to be two or three really, really elite basketball recruits every year to come out of Texas, if not more than that. But people forget, like, every baseball program in this state is good. Tech is great. Texas is great. a and consistently great. TCU is great. And Baylor, for the longest time, uh, was great, you know, pretty consistently as well. And so, you know, I would think when, when you're looking at your neighbors and when you're looking at the level of play in the state – um, there's got to be some pretty high expectation there in terms of in terms of excellence and getting it done. Yeah, and I think you know, Coach Coach Rodriguez is from California and he, he recruits pretty heavy out there, and that's you know the other you know it, Texas, California, and Florida produce an inordinate yep. amount of D1 athletes. So right. those are the three places you need to go. But you know, you can even look at Texas so simple as you would never even have to leave. Houston, Austin, or DFW to recruit everybody that you, you want. And, um, you know, the talents, the talents all within three and a half hours of campus. And, uh, you know, it's nice to get, to get a player or two from another state. That's a standout that you really want to get in. But, um, you know, I think there have been coaches in, in multiple sports at schools across, uh, colleges across Texas proved that you can, you can win with, two and three star recruits out of your own backyard um, because that someone just didn't get the recognition because they're, they're in a big pond in Texas. And totally. Uh, totally. I think you got to hammer that. Well, and you know, I, I'm not close enough to the program to know, but I would think Rodriguez could take a pretty good look at what Matt rule did. Right. I, I think Matt rule played that 
really well in terms of uh, he still brought in kids from the Northeast and and kind of from his backyard that he knew, but as it's has been well documented, uh, went hard at the Texas kids and it paid off, um, paid off for him. So who knows what Rodriguez is is doing or how his staff is adjusting that strategy. But anyway, man. So I know you've been making the rounds this week. I, I know you were on the Our Daily Bears podcast with Matt is Bear talking some baseball. Um, so if, if folks have not caught something that, that you really enjoyed talking about uh, in terms of Baylor baseball, they can check you out there. Why don't you just, I, I you know, this is probably not very good gamesmanship here, <laughs> but but let's let's pitch that podcast too. Those are good dudes. Uh, talk about you and Matt and, uh, and tell people where they can go find that. Yeah, you can find it. At the Our Daily Bears website, or you know, it's on Apple Podcasts and all that. Um, that was the first time I'd got to do a show with with any of those guys. And um, Matt and I actually play uh, old man pickup basketball with each other together in Austin now. So we're kind of talking all things Baylor all the time, and uh, just have a really good, really good time with all of those guys. Every time we see them out at, at games and everything, and uh, we've we'd wanted to do a little bit of baseball content here, so I think we're gonna. Um, have another one come out after the Kansas State series and then maybe one more before the NCAA tournament just to kind of keep people updated on the team. Man, that's awesome, Will. So, folks, uh, make sure you go follow Max on Twitter. Uh, really insightful and, and, dude, just funny. Like, your Twitter feed is is a light in my life, Max. Conner. I appreciate I it, know man. It, it really uh, – <laughs> You and Amy and some of, some of the other folks who just tell it like it is and are, are pretty humorous uh, keep keep me afloat on on bad days, man. I appreciate you. Uh, I hope that this is the football season. We can finally do a tailgate together and hang. Yes, sir. And uh, anyway, man, thanks for coming on and and talking to my folks a little bit about Baylor baseball. Get to a baseball game if you're listening. All right, want to talk Baylor spring football just for a minute. This is, after all, a football podcast. That's what I've kind of made my bread and butter doing. And uh, so let's talk Baylor spring football. I want to begin this segment by issuing an apology to Shahan Jayaraja, my good friend, stud, young, up-and-coming reporter, works for Dave Campbell's Texas Football, covering college football in the state of Texas, has won numerous awards over the past year for his contributions to sports media and even won the Outstanding Young Baylor Alumni Award. So Shahan just tearing it up out there. And I had recorded a segment with him before spring football talking about the four quarterbacks and what he expected. I did not get that edited and published. So Shahan, consider this my my official apology for not editing that segment, dude. I am sorry I did not get to that. And man, I, I just hope you'll forgive me for it and know that I love you and the Baylor Nation loves you. And if nothing else, I enjoyed that conversation and gleaned a lot out of having that conversation with you. So if you believe what you hear coming out of Baylor spring practice just prior to the spring game, what the buzz kind of was, was that Jacob Zeno is the guy uh taking the most number one snaps and looking the best at the position of quarterback and, and that both sides of the ball look pretty good. Of course, the spring game revealed something different uh, in a few areas. Number one, the spring game revealed that once again, Baylor is going to have to lean on its defense this upcoming season. As much as I like Jeff Grimes, and I do really like Jeff Grimes, I think he's going to be outstanding at offensive coordinator for the Bears. 
His offense is going to take some time to pick up. It is different than the previous two or three schemes Baylor has run. It's actually fairly comparable to Bryle's offense at its most basic level. And by that, I just mean it's a wide zone scheme. You're spreading the defense out with the ability to throw the ball around the field, but you're ultimately trying to run the ball right up the middle. And that's what Art Bryles did really well. And that's what Jeff Grimes does really well, even though it does look a little different. I think the offense is going to work. That being said, it takes more than four weeks to install something brand new like that. And it showed in the spring game. The offense, frankly, looked dismal. It did not look good. The defense, meanwhile, looked great. And it's hard to say when you're scrimmaging one another if that is more of an indictment of Baylor's offense or a compliment to Baylor's defense, or can you really say either, uh, you know, when, when you're going against each other. But uh, excited by what I saw from the defense. Dave Aranda, as the, your head coach, pretty much guarantees that this defense is going to continue to be lights out, continue the precedent set by the Matt Rule era, that Baylor is going to have one of the one or two best defenses in the Big 12 and one of the five or six best defenses in the country. You've got a lot of playmakers from last year's defense back. Most importantly, Terrell Bernard will be healthy by the fall and Jalen Petrie. Those guys anchor this defense and the playmakers around them look ready to go. Some of the incoming freshmen even look like they could contribute this year. Devin Neal, a name that comes to mind immediately as a a playmaker that could immediately contribute to this Baylor Bears team on defense. On the offensive side of the ball, the first thing you notice, at least the first thing I noticed, was actually not the quarterback play. It was the running backs. You had to move Abram Smith, who had kind of played pretty well at linebacker last season, back to running back for the spring game. And Abram Smith not only looked great, he looked like the best running back on the roster in the spring game and certainly complimented the quarterbacks well. But what concerns you is the depth and the fact that Baylor's got four or five really gifted running backs who are who are all hurt right now. Of course, what you hope is that Treston Ebner can stay healthy. That guy has not played a complete college football season healthy at this point and has shown that he is absolutely lights out electric and one of the most dynamic guys in college football when healthy. And so you hope that Treston Ebner can stay healthy this season and he will be a contributor big time on that offense. Maybe Abram Smith stays on that side of the ball. It's I, I mean, after what I saw in that spring game, I certainly want Abram Smith staying on that side of the ball and maybe even starting at running back for the Bears. But you just hope that the rest of those guys can get healthy. Uh, you do have a really, really talented freshman, Jordan Jenkins. I kept up with Jenkins pretty closely this past football season as I was covering the El Campo Ricebirds, there was some potential that Jenkins and Lindale would meet El Campo in the playoffs. That did not come to fruition, but I followed Jenkins very closely. He is an outstanding playmaker at that running back position, but you know, you're not really going to lean on a true freshman most of the time to be your number one running back, and Jenkins is not ready for that role, I don't think. So you just hope guys like Tay McWilliams you know, can get healthy and continue to contribute. Tay McWilliams, Jonah White, those guys showed some really, really explosive and exciting potential last season in their limited play. You'd love to get them back this season healthy and ready to contribute. But of course, the big storyline of the spring has been the quarterbacks. And this was publicized as a four-way competition. You had Chiron Drones, the outstanding true freshman coming in, a spring early to get a head start on picking up the offense. Same thing that Robert Griffin and Charlie Brewer did that enabled them to start as true freshmen for Baylor. 
You've got Blake Shapin, who redshirted last year and is still, in my opinion, an underrated guy at quarterback in that just if you look at what he accomplished in high school and if you watch his high school tape, a guy that can really, really play, you would think came to Baylor to be a two-sport athlete. In fact, I think he had announced that as his intention when he came to Baylor. But as I just talked with Max, um, you know, I don't really know why he's not playing baseball. I think he needs to play baseball for the Bears. And, you know, frankly, I'll get into it in a second, but that might be his best option if he wants to play professional sports is baseball. And then, of course, you have the two incumbents, Jacob Zeno, Gary Bohannon. Both have looked really great at times in the past for Baylor, and both have not looked so great at times in the past for Baylor. You know, Zeno's kind of been the golden unicorn everybody's liked since he made two good throws in a championship game. And beyond those two throws, frankly, I just haven't seen much from him. And I don't think that's uh, unreasonable or unfair for me to say. Meanwhile, Bohannon has shown you just electric athletic ability in multiple appearances, but has never really shown you that he can throw the football accurately. He did play really extensively in that same championship game that Zeno got in and uh, did not throw the ball well. There was a shoulder injury. Uh, we know there were some other things behind the scenes that limited Gary Bohannon on that day, but it doesn't help his case. Coming into the spring, most people pegged Zeno as the favorite, uh, with Bohannon a close second and Shapin kind of the dark horse guy, and then just a couple of people really wanting to see drones excel. The reports from campus seemed to indicate that that, that was mostly what was going on, but the spring game told a very different story. Jacob Zeno, I want to say this as honestly as I can, and I'm not trying to rag the kid, but he looked bad. You know, I saw some of the Twitter reaction was, oh, he just doesn't look his best. He's just having an off day. No, he looked bad. And I think in particular, I forget if it was Thornton or Sneed he had on a deep post wide open for a touchdown down the field, and he just underthrew the ball by about 10 yards. And, you know, coming off of a Charlie Brewer, who was an excellent quarterback in a lot of ways, but of course the biggest criticism of Charlie was, hey, he can't get the ball down the field. To see Zeno short-arm that throw and other throws, he short-armed a handful of throws throughout the day. That was disappointing. Uh, I think whatever you do in this Grimes offense, you want a guy who can threaten the ball. You want a guy who's a threat to put the ball down the field, down the middle of the field, up the sidelines on deep routes. You really want that big arm. That's why Zach Wilson excelled there and was the number two draft pick this week for the NFL draft. It was Zach Wilson's arm talent and his ability to throw the ball deep that got him there, as well as 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 well as his athletic ability. And so in this Jeff Grimes offense, I think arm strength is paramount. I don't think it's optional. Uh, you've got to have a guy that can make good decisions and be smart with the football. And Zeno didn't do that either. Uh, multiple interceptions on the day and both interceptions were just bad bad decisions just places he should not have even thought about putting the ball tried to put the ball there and the and then the ball wasn't placed well either and so you know uh, the defense comes up with two relatively easy interceptions against Jacob Zeno you can't judge a guy off of one spring game performance I understand everybody has off days okay but when you compare it to what we saw from Shapin who also didn't look great Looked a little overwhelmed and slow to make decisions, which is not what you want, but expected for a redshirt freshman, okay? But but as far as arm talent, as far as moving in the pocket, I think Shapin and Zeno at this point are about the same guy. And meanwhile, what you saw from Gary Bohannon was different than both. It was absolute confidence and poise 
Never looked rattled. Looked very comfortable back there calling the offense and making the reads and making the throws. Did not turn the ball over. Showed you his ability to throw the ball as well as run it. He had some great runs in that spring game, but you know, that's that's expected. What he showed you is that he can put the ball on a spot, and he did that very well. There might still be some remaining questions of, well, can he read past a 1-2 read? Uh, well, can he throw the ball accurately 20 yards downfield? I don't think Bohannon proved that in the spring game, but based on what I saw, and based on Baylor's needs for this upcoming season, I'm convinced that when I go to San Marcos on September 4th to watch the Baylor Bears play their opening game, if anybody not named Gary Bohannon is the starting quarterback, we've made a tremendous mistake. Like, I'm really convinced of that. And it's not only the performance in the spring game, but it's it's the situation of where Baylor is right now with the offense. I'm going to make a comparison. You're not going to like the comparison. It's not a great one-to-one comparison, but I think you'll understand. I think what we've seen over the past two seasons is that the guy at Tulsa, Zach Smith, who was once the Baylor Bears starting quarterback, was a better quarterback from a lot of perspectives than Charlie Brewer. Zach Smith is a very good prototypical quarterback. He stands tall in the pocket. He can move his feet a little bit. He can put the ball in a spot. And gosh, that arm is a howitzer. I mean, Zach Smith is a baller. He's going to get drafted this weekend. Charlie Brewer did not match Zach Smith in a lot of those traits. But he had two things in that one win season. There were two things Charlie Brewer had for Matt Rule that made him the clear choice over Zach Smith by season's end in 2017. One, he was mobile. All right? The offensive line was bad. The offensive line was having trouble protecting Zach Smith, and Zach Smith got sacked a lot. Charlie Brewer could get out of the pocket, could throw on the move, could pick up five, six, seven yards pretty easily on any given play with his feet. So the mobility thing made Charlie a better choice. But the second thing that made Charlie a better choice, and this is not a shot at a young Zach Smith. I actually think Zach Smith has picked up this trait at Tulsa. He just did not have it while he was at Baylor. Charlie Brewer had the poise. He had the poise and the confidence in himself that he was going to pick up those first downs. He was going to go get the win. He could do it all. Zach Smith at that time did not have that confidence. I'm going to make the direct comparison because I think it's not a bad one. That's how I see Gary Bohannon and Zeno right now. Bohannon is much more mobile. He is much more capable of playing behind a weak offensive line. And make no mistake about it, Jeff Grimes is going to get this offensive line where it needs to be because that's his bread and butter. But it will not be there in 2021. It may not even be there in 2022. It may be 2023 by the time Baylor has a reasonably good offensive line. So for the next two seasons, you need a quarterback who, when a defensive end comes bursting past a tackle, when a defensive tackle charges through a double team right in your face, you need a quarterback who can get out of that, who can use his athleticism to roll out of the pocket or to make someone miss and get the ball out. Even if it's throwing the ball away to the sideline and just letting the play die, you need a quarterback who can get away from that pressure. Zeno can't do it. I've been told I'm a little too critical of Zeno's lack of athleticism. I'm not saying he's not an athlete. I'm saying he's not Gary Bohannon. It's not really close. Gary Bohannon is is a tremendously mobile quarterback. 
And then secondly, I, what I saw in the spring game was I saw one guy who was really confident that the job was his, and I saw one guy who played intimidated. And I don't think that's Zeno's MO. I don't think that's how he normally plays. But in the spring game, he looked a little intimidated. He looked shaken. Those interceptions were in his head. You could tell. Gary Bohannon looked calm. He looked comfortable. He looked composed. He looked like a leader. He looked like the team rallied around him. And, you know, based on what I've heard about both of those guys off the field, and I've reported on this in previous episodes of this podcast, so I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before. Bohannon has a better head on his shoulders. He's a little more mature. He's going to stay out of trouble. Zeno, I'm sure he's a good guy, uh, but he has had some issues with Aranda already in terms of off-the-field behavior. And uh, for all those reasons, I think Gary Bohannon showed you in the spring game that he's the guy. And so I was rooting for him before. I think I said that even that in the past that I was rooting for Bohannon to get a shot to be the starter. I think he had a good chance at it. I think he was a better option than Zeno. And what I saw in that spring game, and, and especially from our offensive line, what I saw tells me that Gary Bohannon should be the next starting Baylor quarterback i would love to know if you disagree with me feel free to jump on twitter find me at please bear w underscore me please bear with me find us tweet at me i think gary bohannon i think the competition's over baylor won't announce it until the fall they're going to make sure zeno and bohannon both stay in camp for the fall but i expect gary bohannon to be announced the starter this fall that leads me to one last point and then we'll move on to travis if Bohannon is announced as the starter this season, Zeno will transfer, and he should. He should go somewhere he can start and uh, make a run at the NFL draft if it's not Baylor. And after that, you've got Shapin and Drones. And I, I think I believe this, and I think most people believe this, that if you give Shapin and Drones two years, it's not going to be Shapin that's going to come out on top. It's going to be Drones. You didn't see a lot from Drones in the spring game, but what you saw was the raw talent the size, and the arm strength. There have been very few Baylor quarterbacks that just had the pure physicality of drones, if any. I mean, Seth Russell comes close in terms of athleticism and arm strength, um, but he was not as big. Robert Griffin, obviously, was one of the greatest athletes to ever play the quarterback position, also was not very big. I mean, I go back to a guy like J.J. Joe, I'd probably say the same thing I said about Robert, Cody Carlson, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking of guys who, who've come through campus, and frankly, I think the closest guy to come through campus in terms of both size and arm strength on top of some athleticism and ability to move, the closest guy to Drones is Bohannon, and I think Drones has Bohannon beat in a couple of those categories, especially the size. So for Shapin, I think Shapin's in a tough spot because I don't think he's going to win the competition this fall. I think that's pretty apparent, and I don't think he can beat Drones in two seasons. Anything can happen in college football. Someone could get hurt. A door could open. I'm not wishing that. But, of course, there could be an opportunity for Shapin to get in a game this season and change the world like Charlie Brewer did. And maybe he earns that job. But I think just if you looked at the chalk right now, Bohannon starts this fall. Zeno transfers. Shapin backs up Bohannon this season. That's a pretty good one-two right now. But then two years from now, Drones is probably ready to take the reins, and he's probably an elite college quarterback if he develops the way that we think he can develop. And it, with Sean Bell coaching quarterbacks, I'm confident he will develop well. I think Shapin needs to stay at Baylor and focus on baseball. Uh, will he? You know, that's only up to him. He's a competitive dude. I'm sure he thinks he can win that quarterback job at some point. 
but I'm just not seeing it. I hope he does really well for Baylor baseball and that you have that one-two punch for Baylor baseball maybe next season where you've got Jared McKenzie and Blake Shapin hitting one and two and absolutely tearing teams up on the baseball field. I'd really love to see that. I think a lot of Baylor fans would love to see that. Go play baseball. Focus on baseball. Maybe you're a career number two quarterback for Baylor. I I don't think there's any shame in that, but uh, it's easy for me to say. It's a much harder decision for the young man can make. Anyway, those are my thoughts on spring football and particularly on the Baylor quarterbacks. So, dude, here's here's what I said just a little bit ago. Any big decision you make in life, there's never one factor. There's always a multitude of factors. And so as people are trying to parse out why Kim Mulkey left Baylor, What I can guarantee and what I actually know for a fact because of who I've talked to, this was not just, oh, I wanted to go home to Louisiana, okay? So uh, as much as I respect Matt Mosley, that is not the core narrative here. That is a very small part of this puzzle. Uh, I already shared in pretty pretty deep detail what I've heard, Um, but before I ask you what what you know about her departure, uh, you are in a unique position to talk about this because you got much closer and more personal time uh, with Kim Mulkey than I mean pretty much any Baylor fan really gets to so why don't you uh, tell the audience um, kind of kind of about your role there and and how it came about and uh, just tell us about coach Mulkey and who she is man because you got a closer look than most people Yeah. So actually my relationship, if you even want to call it that with coach Mulkey started back kind of when I was in fifth grade. Um, I was in a flag football league with her daughter, McKenzie at the Woodway family center. And then two years later, uh, Kramer was two years below me school wise. And we played in the same basketball league, uh, the year later. So my first interactions with, with coach Mulkey were seeing her as a mom and seeing her support her children and seeing her show up to the games and interact with fans and interact with other parents and just to see how much love and energy that she gave other people. And so that's kind of where my relationship started with seeing her outside of a coach. And she brings that high energy in in every conversation. And when she enters the gym, you feel that energy. I, I assure you that there is a feeling that Kim gives you that if Kim is on your side, you can't lose. That is a feeling that I got as a dream team member, which is running scout team with, with the women, which I'll get to later. That is a feeling that I felt as a dream team member. So I can only imagine as a player that some of them feel that way too. Um, so that's just kind of my, my perspective of her first was as, as a mom and just as a good person. And so then when I came to Baylor and I got to interact with her in a coaching role and practice every day for four years, um, the intensity, the competitiveness, and we all know that. We all see her on the sidelines and we all see her in her press conferences. We all know that she is competitive and fiery and that's what we love about Kim. But 
the one thing that really stands out to me about Kim is her loyalty. And one thing that Kim, uh, first practice every year, would, would always tell her players, never lie to me. I, I don't care if you screw up. You, you're going to screw up, but don't lie to me about it. And if you showed Kim loyalty in that way, she will show you loyalty right back. And for a personal example of the loyalty that she showed me, um, NCAA tournament. It's time to go into a film session and a scouting report. At this point in time in my life, I am pursuing a career in basketball coaching. And so I approached her and I asked her if I could sit in on a scouting report in a film session. And she did not hesitate to involve me. And that was huge. That was like, are you kidding me? I get to be in the ground of uh, the ground floor of seeing how this national championship coach scouts and breaks down film. Are you kidding me? Heck yes. Like that, that was so cool to me. And that could easily have been a distraction to her team. She, her sole focus should have been and was to win a national championship. But for her to allow me to, to just be in the background was a really big deal to me. And I felt that she was showing her loyalty to me by me showing up every day in practice and working hard for, for her. And so she recognized that loyalty and she paid that loyalty back uh, to me. So, yeah, I, I think, man, when I think Kim Mulkey, I think, I think Baylor Athletics. When I think Baylor Athletics, I think Kim Mulkey. She's been the backbone of Baylor Athletics for 20 years. For 20 years, we've been through hell, man. We've been through a lot, Baylor Athletics, since Kim's been here. And she had every opportunity to leave during those times, but she stood strong. She stood with Baylor. She had our back. And so that's, that's what I think of when I think Kim Mulkey. Man, so those are, that's a great story, by the way, the film thing. That's, that's incredible. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think everything you just described, Travis, is why people are so shocked and, dare I say, hurt by her leaving and I'm going to I'm going to push back on one idea you mentioned but then I want to talk about this idea of loyalty. You say she had every opportunity to leave and maybe she had a couple um but good jobs in women's basketball don't open up very often. I mean the big power schools in women's basketball keep their coaches forever and and so like you know, I mean, that's why I think we're pretty optimistic that Baylor's going to hire someone great because this is maybe the best opening in in you know since Tennessee um, in terms of women's basketball. However, we, we talk about loyalty, okay, and and it is hard to swallow because we did watch Kim walk into press conferences and rip reporters apart who wanted to come at Baylor, right? And of course, as a fan base, we love her for it. And we, and we love her for being loud-mouthed, and we love her for, for being aggressive and, and competitive and all those things you described. Um, that's why it still baffles me, and I still... You know, I tweeted last Thursday, she's gone. And I got a lot of pushback, because people like me were shocked and surprised, and no way, she's been so loyal, and sure enough, she was gone. I think... I'm going to let you run with whatever you want to run with in terms of Kim leaving. I I think she's just made the biggest mistake of her life. 
and and I don't know Kim personally. Um, I don't know all of the conversations in the background, though. I'm privy to a few things, but I just can't imagine. Even if even if part of being at LSU is being back in Louisiana, which which I know she does love her home state, I can't imagine she's ever going to get the support from the athletic department, the support from the city, uh, the support in terms of game attendance as she got here. I just can't picture it. And and so her which makes her stepping out even harder to swallow because I think she stays at Baylor five, ten more years, retires as a Baylor Bear. Dude, she gets all of that stuff. She gets the court named after her. She gets a statue. She gets a banner. She gets she would have every legacy thing at Baylor. And now, I, now her legacy, you got to wonder five years from now, is the narrative going to be she left because of her ego? She left because she couldn't get along with a men's basketball program matching her success, right? Like, like I don't know, man. So, yeah. So, I, I, I totally get where, where you're coming from. And... I am I am not one to I don't feel that there's any point diving into who's to bear blame. I already kind of did that, so you're free from doing that. <laughs> and uh, you know, all the exact reasons, this side, that side, I I just think it's it, I think it's unnecessary because she made a decision. The decision's been made. We we can't go back. I think that both sides, both sides definitely bear blame here. And for me, for Kim to, you know, for her loyalty, I guess, to shake with Baylor, to me, something something had to shake Baylor's loyalty in her or make her think that Baylor's loyalty to her had diminished. And I don't know that. I That is just a, a point point blank thought off the top of my head so i guess what i would ask you is what what could she and i I know what i've heard some from good sources some from not so good sources what could she possibly want that baylor wasn't giving her because listen it's a top three women's basketball budget in the country Baylor was going to pay her whatever it, it took to keep her around. I don't know what else has been put out there, but there's no doubt in my mind Baylor was going to outspend LSU if it was just about money. Baylor was going to let her coach at Baylor until she retired. Baylor was not, she was not at risk of ever losing her job at Baylor. I, I saw some people arguing on Twitter, well, the Christian University thing prevented her from recruiting. That's bull, dude. She brought in McDonald's All-Americans year after year after year. I just wonder, you talk about Baylor uh, maybe shaking her confidence in, in Baylor and Baylor's loyalty. I just don't. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm not saying that to say that that's what happened. Right. And I'm not saying that to say that in Baylor's opinion that they did nothing wrong. But maybe in Kim Mulkey's mind, she thinks that Baylor lost loyalty in her. So do you think, and I know who I've heard this from, and I've heard this from people I trust. Based on you knowing her better than I ever would know her or than a lot of people know her. 
Is it possible that she did uh, that all that a lot of this boiled over? I'm not saying this was the core reason, but it boiled over because a stadium wasn't going where she wanted it, and because Mac Rhodes wasn't going to give her nicer facilities than the men. Is is she the kind of person? And and you don't. I'm not trying to make you say anything yeah. you're not comfortable saying. Is she the kind of person that that would boil her over to when LSU calls right in the middle of her being kind of heated? She's gone. I don't think it's a. I don't think that it is a an immediate decision. I think that this was something that was probably in Coach Mulkey's in in the back of her head for a little while now. And she said it at her press conference, you know, there's only one school that was going to make her leave. It was one thing, and it was LSU. And But she also said, Travis, that she made this decision in 10 minutes. Yes, which tells me that, yeah, it may sound like a quick decision, but this was something that's been festering for longer, and that's been in the back of her mind, and that's been, and she's... And while appreciative and loving and of where she is at Baylor and, and all of those things, but at the same time in the back of her mind, having that and when when home calls, when home calls, the the stars aligned and and it was the the perfect moment and she took it. And I'm just not buying it, man. I just, I, I just, and, and this is where, this is where my perspective is on, on this thing. Is I don't, I don't want to dwell on, well, Kim was this and Mac was this and Baylor this and Kim that and you know, the, all that is gonna do is further divide Baylor fans. I do not want to divide Baylor fans. We need to be coming together. We, we, Kim Mulkey gave us three national championships, 12 Big Tail titles, 11 straight. Mac Rhodes has, has done excellent things for Baylor. Both sides have done excellent things for Baylor. Why can't we golf clap, appreciate what's happened, and as the great Matt Rule would say, what's next? What's next? Turn the page. Yeah, there you go. Let's appreciate what Kim gave us. Let's. Not maybe not point fingers because both sides are gonna bear blame, and let's just appreciate what we got, man. Let's just appreciate what we got. So and 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 to your point, I, I do want to bring up, you know, where where do you go from Baylor? There's not a place to go from Baylor. You're exactly right. This is like when Bama, the head coach for Bama, uh, is available in football. This is when the UNC job comes available in, in men's basketball. This is a top job. You don't go anywhere for, from here. And so that should be very exciting for Baylor fans is that when you come to Baylor, you don't leave because you have all the resources that you could possibly ever, ever want to win national championships. And, that, and that's even more to your point too, which is why I don't, I, like, I don't want to dwell on it because it's so, oh, it, it's, it's just going to, I don't want to take sides. I don't want to take sides. And, and I don't want to point blame because bo- both sides, I think, are, are to blame. Right. Well, and here's what I'll say. And, I, you know, I've spent a lot of this, the runtime of this podcast, talking about what might have happened and, and um, defending one side, to be frank. And um, here's what I'll say. Kim Mulkey is an emotional person, and for 21 years, we've loved her for it. We've loved her for it. So even if, and this is not 
perhaps giving Mulkey enough credit, and I, I don't want to discredit her, even if it was an emotional decision in the heat of some some feelings that were going on, whether it was stuff that was festering, as you said, or, or the stuff that's kind of come up over the past month. We love her. We loved her for being emotional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We loved her for getting angry. We loved her for being fiery. We loved her for being weepy and joyful. I mean, that's that's what made her special. And, uh, you know, I'm, I am afraid, Travis, and I've told people this, that the narrative for Kim is going to become that she underachieved. You know, and I want to unite the fan base as much as you do. I, I'm afraid the narrative is about to become, hey, she only won one title with Brittany Griner and Odyssey Sims. Are you kidding? Like two of the best women's basketball players in 30 years. She only won one, right? Hey, she dropped that. She dropped that game to A and M. Hey, she dropped right, and that would not be the case if she had stayed. No Baylor fan would call her an underachiever if she retired a Bear. So I guess my challenge to folks would be. I understand that you're pissed this week uh, and and that's fine. Like that's a that's a very reasonable emotion to feel. Uh but I hope that in a couple years or even a couple months when we look back on Kim as you've said, uh we remember how good it was and that yeah, when Kim got to Baylor there was no good men's program, there was no good football program, there was no good anything. There was no good Nothing. anything. Zero. And her taking the women to the top proceeded um, Baylor football coming back to national relevance. It preceded Scott Drew getting the men's team to those elite eights. I mean, she did it. She first. was the light. She was the light in the darkness for t- for twenty years. Why don't you say this? Say you said a little bit about her being um, such a good family person and and kind and and loyal. I think there's an unfair perception. It, well, there's a perception that because Kim is an alpha and because she's emotional, that she's just a jerk. And I've even seen Baylor fans, I've even seen Baylor fans, uh, not many, thank God, but a couple, um, some in my personal life and some over the internet, ah, good riddance, she was whatever, Uh, I'm not going to curse on my family podcast here. What would you say to those people about Kim Mulkey's character? Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing can be further from the truth um, than, than than what you just said about, uh, about what th- fans might think of of Kim. She just, man, if you guys could just see her not in a press conference and not on the sidelines, just, man, I, I people will show up to her practices and she'll go and talk to fans in the middle of practice and and make you feel well, make you feel like you're a part of the team. And I saw how she interacted with her players how she interacted with the families of her players, how she interacted with her staff. And man, I just have so much respect for for Kim being able to, man, just just be the person that she is. It's extremely hard to, to, to be who she is in the position that she's in. And I just have so much respect for her. And I hope that Baylor fans don't have a negative sense of Kim because... Man, I, I I love Kim Mulkey. I will always love Kim Mulkey. And man, I just I mean I, I love Kim Mulkey. That I'll end it there. So for those of you listening, I'm I'm with Travis on Zoom and I'm watching his face get emotional. So the dude means what he says. I got goosebumps, man. And uh 
And hey, just like, I'll just say this, because I, you know, you're convicting me a little bit. I don't think I've been unfair to Kim during the runtime of this episode, but I, I'm mad at her, right? I'm mad at her for leaving, okay? And so what, I, what I'll say is just like no decision in life happens because of one factor, uh, no person is, is one thing, right? And this just goes to show um, behind closed doors and, and when it counted most, uh, Kim Mulkey was gracious and she was, she was a great leader and she loved people well. And I'm thankful for that, man. I'm thankful for you giving us that perspective. Um, man, anything else you want to say about Kim or the transition or the or women's basketball moving forward before we get to the other uh, the other piece of news I want to share with people? Uh, just man, I'm just very excited about the future of women's basketball at Baylor. Mac Rhodes has come out and said nothing's going to change budget wise. Nothing's going to change, um, you know, commitment wise to women's basketball. That's exactly what you want to hear. Um, Everyone should be dying to come coach at Baylor. Everyone should be dying to come coach at Baylor. And I have full confidence in, in whatever Mac Rhodes decides to do. I have full confidence in that decision. All right. So uh, talking with Travis brings me to something else. And if you've, if you've, uh, this is where I'm going to get emotional. Uh, if you've been in my personal life over the past two years, you, you probably will not be surprised by this. If you have been a, a faithful listener or follower for one season or even just the past uh, all four seasons, uh, this might surprise you. Uh, this past summer, I was, was very, very, very close uh, to giving up. Please bear with me. Full-time ministry is a lot. Getting married is a lot. Uh, COVID was hard on everybody and, and made the, both of those things challenging. Um, I think it was because of COVID I stuck with it last season. Uh, COVID, Dave Aranda, first season, all of that kept me intrigued. But I've got to confess to you, if you're listening today, that, the, that this last season, season four of Please Bear With Me, was not my best work. Uh, I'm well aware of that. Uh, because I did not, I did not have as much time or energy to put into it as I had the three seasons prior. I've done a lot of soul searching and a lot of praying about this, and and talking with my friends at Bears Illustrated who've supported this so well over the past four years. And I've decided that I need to take a step back. Uh, so four years ago, I started this podcast as just a, a regular alum and fan. Uh, talking about Baylor football and not expecting anything to come of it. You have been so faithful to listen and to follow along and to, to let me, uh, to let me do this. Um, the great news is that two years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, a guy named Travis Corley started doing the exact same thing. And it's kind of eerie as I've talked to Travis, how similar we are in terms of just why we do this and, and what we love about these podcasts. And he started the Oso podcast. If you haven't listened to the Oso podcast in the last two years, you've missed out. Travis has put out some really great stuff uh, from a fan perspective. And so um, I wanted to take a step back, and I yet did not want to let this thing go. I, I really value the community we've built. I value you for listening. I value um, the fun that I've had, and I especially value the opportunity I've had to uh, have hour and two hour long conversations with guys like Blake Blackmar and Seth Russell 
and Jordan Lake and Ryan Reed and all those guys, the, the, the former players uh, who've come on the show. And I've appreciated the opportunity to interact with some of my media uh, heroes um, through this show as well. And so we are announcing today uh, that Travis is going to take the lead here on Please Bear With Me. So I, I am thrilled about this, uh, that Please Bear With Me is still going to come to you this next football season. Um, it's going to be Travis's baby. We're going to let Travis run it how he wants. It is his show. Um, I am going to stay around because I, I, I am selfish and can't quite just let it all the way go. And Travis has been very gracious to say that, that I can make the occasional appearance and even further uh, that I can continue to do some feature interviews and, and talk to some some Baylor greats and talk to some people that I love um, and get them on the podcast as well. So I will be staying on in a secondary role. Travis is going to take the mantle and Carrie, please bear with me forward. And Travis, I'm going to let you talk because uh, this is probably shocking to some people and some people don't know you. Um, but man, I, I am so thankful uh, for what I've gotten to do for the last four years, and I'm thankful that you have the same vision and 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 that you are humble enough, um, even though you've had an outstanding podcast uh, for the last couple of years, to be willing to partner with me in, in keeping Please Bear With Me alive. Yeah, absolutely. First off, thank you for thinking of me. That meant a lot to me because I enjoy Please Bear With Me, and to, to, for you to reach out to me and, and say those kind words and to think of me to take over for you, like, it, it meant a lot, Scotty. So, um, and I'm very, very excited to carry the torch forward with, with Please Bear With Me. Um, like Scotty said, we started our podcast for the same exact reasons. As a fan, just loving Baylor football and wanting people to get involved with this Baylor football team. And while Scotty and I are a little bit alike, you know, I'm not going to give you those technical breakdowns of this and that. It is going to be from a fan's perspective. And I just, I bleed the green and gold just as Scotty does. And I am hoping that I'm just not going to ruin it. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> you know, here's what's so funny though, is, is I, I do like to to break things down sometimes from a scheme perspective, but usually I let other people come on and do that for me. Uh, what everybody has said, Travis, I think the number one compliment I've gotten on this podcast in four years has been you're enthusiastic and you're optimistic and you love Baylor. Right. And so if, if that is what makes this podcast different or significant or worth listening to, uh, then you check all the boxes, dude. So, uh, it's going to be great. Boy, man, I, I, I sure do appreciate that. And, you know, like Scotty said, I am also energetic, a little bit weird, just a little bit. And I'm also not going to overreact to like one game or two games or anything like that. So you're not going to get overreactions out of me. Nothing like I'm not searching for a hot take. I just I, I just want everyone to. Uh, to be involved and get excited about Baylor football. So what better way? That's right. Yeah. So if you if you have been a fan of the Oso for the last two years, uh, the good news is I, what you loved about that podcast is going to carry right over into Please Bear With Me. And if you've been a fan of Please Bear With Me, I'm going to ask you, it's not, don't be loyal to me. Uh, be, be loyal to the podcast. Uh, be loyal to the community. And Travis is going to do a great job. I will be on every so often. 
Um, I will continue writing for Bears Illustrated. That is something I, I am going to continue doing and maybe even um, have a little time to do a little more uh, since I won't be worrying about this every week. Uh, so you will still get Please Bear With Me on Bears Illustrated featuring Travis. I will still be writing for Bears Illustrated. It's it's kind of a great situation all around uh, for where we are in life. And yeah, this is an awkward thing. I don't know how to conclude. Just so. excited, man. Just excited. Heck yeah. Let's just Heck say yeah. we're excited and end it. We're excited. Thanks so much to Travis Corley for joining us on this edition of Please Bear With Me. And thanks to Travis for taking the mantle and taking Please Bear With Me forward. It really means the world to me. You know, this is my last segment for the foreseeable future as the host of this show. And I thought about writing some dramatic soliloquy or giving you some great words of wisdom. But truthfully, I don't have that. What I have is gratitude, and I thank you for uh, making my dreams come true. This was just a fan thing I did. You know, before I felt called to be a pastor, I I wanted to be Colin Cowherd. I wanted to be Dan Patrick. I wanted to be John Morris, probably more than anybody. And I'll never get to do that, but I did get to do this, and this has been pretty fun. And so um, to those of you who have supported me the whole way, who've who've interacted, who I've gotten to know, please stay in touch. You can follow my personal Twitter at pastor underscore Scotty. I'd love to connect with you there. You know, if you need my cell phone number, shoot me a DM. But I just, this, this whole experience has been a dream come true. And it's been really a source of joy in my life. And I thank you for it. And I love you for it, Baylor. I can't wait to see what Travis does with the podcast. And I can't wait to contribute here and there as I can. But I thank you with my whole heart and for the final time i've been scotty swingler and this is and will continue to be please bear with me please bear with me is brought to you by baylor 247 sports thanks to tim watkins over there all the music you heard in today's episode was produced by iron kids check them out wherever you stream music iron kids thanks to max garner travis corley and everybody else who made this episode possible my name's been scotty swingler sick em bears 